Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody, for our 25th edition. I'm here with John Mitchell, as always, this week. We're going to be talking about week two action in our first segment, going over our best wins and worst losses and handing out some game balls. In the second segment, we're going to be talking about some week three action, picking some games against the spread. And in our final segment today, we're going to be talking about some of our upset picks, some locks of the week against the spread, and then going over some stuff we're going to be eating and drinking this week. Uh, so before we dive in, how are you doing this week, John? Good to talk to you again. I'm doing well. I'm doing much better than this week, week three slate we have to talk about this week. But some college football, even weak college football is better than no college football, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it's certainly not the prettiest slate in the world by any means. But as you said, football is football. So before we get into that, let's look at our week two uh, action that's in the books now. Um, first and foremost, what did you think was the best win of the weekend, John? You know, there were several teams that came away with some big wins and everything, but I think maybe, maybe you could classify as the best, but maybe the most important win of the weekend was USC knocking off Stanford. You know, it kind of looked like all season coming in, all off season coming in that Clay Helton was kind of a sitting duck. Didn't really do much to help himself, even though USC was able to beat Fresno State in week one. They kind of looked lackluster in that win. There were some coaching gaffes in the second half of that game that really called into question um, more his ability as a coach. And then even worse, you know, JT Daniels gets hurt in that game and is lost for the season, and they've got to turn to a true freshman in Keaton Slovis, who not only is a true freshman, but wasn't that highly regarded as a guy, you know. JT Daniels was the guy who was the all-world recruit and stuff for Matter Day High School. And then you've got Slovis, who's a three-star, obviously a talented kid still, but a three-star quarterback as a freshman isn't usually a guy you're looking at it contributing right away. He obviously had talent because he passed the more experienced guys on the depth chart. And he comes out and just has a masterpiece of a first start against a really quality Stanford team, or at least what we think is a quality Stanford team. It's still too early to tell this early in the season. But I don't know if there's a more important win this weekend for a football coach or a program than USC beating Stanford and honestly beating them like a drum. I mean, that wasn't even a close game there in the second half. They really pulled away into a really impressive win. Um, and now USC kind of sets themselves up uh, to be, you know, potentially uh, right there in the race with Utah and others for the Pac-12 South and a potential shot at a Rose Bowl bid, which would potentially be what it takes at this point for Clay Helton to get another season in L.A. Yeah, I think it definitely was a good face saver for him for sure, especially with everything that's gone down with the uh, the injury issues, definitely. Um, personally, I really liked another big blowout, um, specifically uh, Maryland over number 21 Syracuse. That game was, I, I mean, it really was an eye-opener for the country. There's a reason that, um, you know, the Terrapins, I you know, I, I was blown away by them. They scored on seven of their first eight possessions in that game, you know, uh, including their first possession of the second half. Built up a 49-13 lead by that early in the third quarter point. Josh Jackson looked really good. The Virginia Tech transfer, you know, threw for 296 yards and three touchdowns. Really 
really just controlled the game well, especially in that first half as Maryland was building up such a big lead. And then the Terrapins as well. I mean, they controlled the, the ground game on both sides. Um, really, really locked down Syracuse and, and forced them to be one-dimensional. And then, you know, when they had the football and kept it on the ground, six rushing touchdowns, almost, you know, well over 300 yards. It was an unbelievable day for that team all around. Yeah, you know, you score 79 points in week one over Howard. Everybody kind of bats their eyes like whatever, you know, it's Howard and nothing. You come back in week two and drop 63 on Syracuse. Now you've got the country's attention. I actually had Maryland in the Citrus Bowl this week in my bowl projections. I think they're that good. Um, it's unfortunate that they're in the toughest division in the Big Ten, which is going to make it, you know, difficult for them to make noise. But, man, Mike Loxley, round two, getting his second opportunity as a head coach off to a, just a great start. And I'm really happy to see it because I feel like Loxley was underappreciated, if that makes sense, at Alabama last year. Alabama had one of the – the best offense in school history statistically, but all the credit went to, you know, obviously the players, but also Josh Gaddis, the wide receiver coach, who's now the offensive coordinator at Michigan, and Dan Enos, who was the quarterback's coach, who's now the offensive coordinator at Miami for his work with Tua and Jalen last year. And Loxley was kind of a forgotten guy, despite the fact that he was the shot caller for the offense. And I think he's kind of taken um, exception to that. And they've been off to just a fantastic start. The Terps look like they are absolutely for real. Yeah, I, I was just absolutely impressed. Um, you know, switching gears, obviously, it's always fun to talk about the best wins of the week. Um, but there were some ugly losses as well, as there always are. But which loss was the worst of the week, in your opinion, John? I don't think there's a more damaging loss in week two, in my opinion, Um and it's going to be the same team I talked about last week. It's Tennessee again, isn't it? It's got to be like you got to look at Jeremy Pruitt's balls now dropping to 0-2, losing a second straight out-of-conference home game, a game that they had no business losing. I don't know if you were able to watch that game Saturday night or not, but the Vols had that game locked up. I believe on the ESPN, on ESPN they do win um, projections throughout the game. At one point in the fourth quarter, it was 99% certain that Tennessee was going to win the football game and they blew it. It's just improbable how they've been able to figure out ways to lose these games. I mean, you're talking about what at the end, um, it was 16-13 Tennessee, and BYU had the ball second and 18 on their own eight-yard line with 31 seconds to play and no timeouts, and they somehow get down the field and get a field goal because they complete – um, a 64-yard pass on just the worst blown coverage you could ever see in a football game to end up tying that game and winning in overtime. It's just, it's baffling. This Tennessee team is too talented to be 0-2. Um, they should be 2-0 based on talent alone, but these back-to-back -back losses, these, this is as low, and Tennessee football has been low over the last decade since Phil Fulmer was kind of run out of town. Um They've been a lot of lows. I don't think they've ever been lower than these first two weeks of the season based on kind of the expectations for this team and now falling to 0-2 against really competition they should be able to handle with relative ease, at least in their own home stadium. Zach, what do you think? How, how quickly do we see Phil Fulmer come back and take the reins from Pruitt? Do you think that's a possibility this season? You know, given what we've seen with Tennessee football so far this year and just being absolute 
we gobsmacked about how things have turned out for them in these first couple of weeks, it wouldn't shock me a bit. Um, you know, I think you see them go 0-4, 0-5. It, it's really going to, you're going to start to see a large part of the fan base clamoring for that. There's no doubt about it. Um, it'd be really fascinating to see. We're starting to see more coaches get second acts around the country. So, um, and, you know, get their second stint at the same school indeed. So it wouldn't be crazy in the least to see Fulmer come back. No, he sees Mac Brown having success at North Carolina, and you know it's making him jealous. I saw him in the post-game press conference for Jeremy Pruitt on Saturday with his arms crossed, looking pissed off at the world. I want nothing more to see him back, just to see him lose some more as well. So I don't think anyone deserves these losses more than Philip Fulmer. But their schedule, you know, they're probably not going to be 0-5 because they're, they got Chattanooga this week. But after that, they play Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi State in their next three games. And that... And then Alabama right after that. So, I mean, easily you're talking one and six uh, is definitely in play, far from the seven or eight to even nine wins that some were projecting for them this season. Oh, yeah. And then if you get to that point, you have to run the table from there just to get to bowl, to a bowl game. Um, so, yeah, I, that game was really ugly. I definitely had it as one of my worst losses of the week as well. Um, speaking of crazy and probable comebacks, though, that Nebraska game was pretty wild as well. Colorado coming back to knock off the Cornhuskers. Um, you know, Steven Montez looked absolutely great in that game um, through the 96-yard flea flicker right at the beginning of the second half to sort of spark the comeback. And then, you know, hits the 26-yard touchdown to Brown with 26 seconds remaining to send the game to overtime. And then, you know, you've got a feel for Isaac Armstrong, uh, you know, coming in as the backup kicker. You know, it he wasn't even expecting to be on the field making that sort of kick. And then for his team to set him up with a 48-yarder in overtime, I mean, you might as well have just fallen forward on the ball and given your guy a better shot to send it to second overtime. Um, just a really ugly, you know, start to the season for, for Scott Frost and company losing that way to Colorado. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And on the flip side of that, what a hell of a win for Mel Tucker, getting his first signature win as the Buffs head coach. His tenure in Boulder couldn't really go better. They blew out rival Colorado State in week one, and then they come and beat the old Big 8 slash Big 12 rival in Nebraska in week two and speaking of that 96 yard flea flicker what a ballsy call to call a flea flicker from your own end zone i don't know if i've ever seen that before no it was it, it was exciting to see i'd love to see more of it but yeah it, i mean absolute guts there just 100 percent um so yeah i agree you could kind of flip that the other way and look at it as one of the best wins of the week for for colorado fans for sure um moving on um you know we talk about the best and the worst, but what was the most surprising result of the week for you, John? It was almost the worst loss of the week had it actually turned out. It's Florida State 45, Louisiana Monroe 44. I mean, second week in a row now that Florida State got off to a really hot start um, in the first quarter of a game. Like they dominated Boise State in week one. They do kind of the same thing in week two. I kind of stopped paying attention to the game at a certain point because it was 21 to nothing Florida State early second quarter and it looked like the Noles were going to run away from it and I remember just kind of checking in and seeing that you know it was 24-21 in the third quarter 
And then late in the fourth quarter, Louisiana Monroe had taken the lead. And I'm like, what is going on? And caught kind of the end there. And I mean, easily could have gone. I wish Louisiana Monroe would have gone for two in overtime instead of kicking the extra point that ended up missing anyway and losing by a point. So we'd have liked it better if they would have gone down swinging with a two-point conversion to try to win that game um, in Tallahassee. But that had to be the more. I really expected Florida State to bounce back a little bit in week two. And just giving up 44 points to Louisiana Monroe is a real bad sign for that Knowles defense. And just not being able to hang on to leads. I, I, I really worry. I was really high on Willie Taggart and really expected him to do well there. But now I'm really starting to wonder if... You know, I know two weeks is hard to make a judgment, but you have all of last season and the two weeks here, like if he's the right guy there or not. And I know a lot of Florida State fans are asking themselves the same thing. Yeah, that was a really ugly result. And, you know, the Warhawks, hell of a game for sure. Just a, you know, completely resilient showing there to even bring it as close as they did. And obviously a really sad ending to that game, but that's kind of the way football goes sometimes as well. Um, Another result that really surprised me was one that I woke up on Sunday morning and found myself swallowing some some words. Um, You know, uh, now that I'm here on the East Coast, it's a little harder to catch uh, Pac-12 after dark, especially when you get long weather delays like there were like happened in uh, Seattle for the Washington Cal game. Um, you know, that game ended at 1.22 local time, so it would have been nearing 4.30 for me here. So I got to admit, I wasn't up for that entire thing. Um, you know, I was expecting to be able to catch some of it before I put in my top 25 projections. But I did not see Washington losing that game at all. You know, I totally expected that to just be a blowout. And so I woke up on Sunday morning and find that they lose 2019 to Cal um, you know, especially after they, you know, had the 10 nothing lead in the first quarter. You see Cal bounce back. And, you know, even then, Washington comes back in the fourth quarter and, and takes the lead with two minutes left. You figure, okay, they've, they've skirted out of this. But um, Cal pulled it off. Hats off, hats off to the Golden Bears. Um, it's really interesting to see, especially what's happening there in the Pac-12 North this year, because we expected that to be the dominant division. And at this point, you know, you're looking at teams like Cal and Washington State looking just as tough as Stanford and Washington and Oregon have so far this year. So um, makes it a really fun, fun race. But um, I think at the same time, it's, it's kind of damaging for, for the Pac-12 as a conference when it comes time to be talking about the college football playoff and everything. So that was the one that kind of blew my mind, especially waking up the morning after. Yeah, I actually stayed up for that game and kept kind of waiting for Washington to get the knockout blow sometime in the second half. So I could go to bed and it never came. And I ended up being up all the way until three twenty something my time here in the central time zone and watching Cal hit that game-winning 17-yard field goal. There was one really weird point in that game. I know you didn't see it, and no one's really talking about it, but Chris Peterson deserves some blame for the end of that game. He had one of the weirdest coaching gaffes I've seen. Everyone kind of looks at Peterson. I've always looked at Peterson as a really good tactician and a really good football coach just overall. At the end of the game, Cal's lining up for their 17-yard field goal. He lets like 10 seconds bleed off the clock and then calls a timeout to ice the kicker. Literally... There, there was no play clock or anything at this point. There's 17 seconds left or something like that. And he's just watching the clock after a review, 
just bleed off. I don't know why he didn't take a timeout right away to give himself 10 more seconds. They probably, it doesn't change the result of the game. There's just a really weird sequence to really cap off a really strange game. I hate to pull away too many, I get highbrow thoughts from this game just because it's such a weird thing that happened with a three hour lightning delay and kind of waiting around to play the game. Home field advantage is kind of gone at that point because there's not that many people that are going to stay in the stands to watch that late of a kick, no matter what. So I, I don't know. I, I this second year in a row though, Cal's got the better of Washington. Justin Wilcox deserves a lot of credit. I think he had his guys ready to play. And I think the golden bears are a really good football team. I, I think we're kind of overlooked in the preseason. I think they're going to make some noise. I don't think they're going to compete for a Pac-12 title, but that could be a popular spoiler all season long. It wouldn't be the wouldn't be a surprise if Washington's not the last team that they nip at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we talked about it in our in our preseason preview of the Pac-12 that Cal is one of those teams where it's really hard to project them winning the conference and staying consistent over the course of the season. But, you know, if they play like they did against Washington, they do have a real chance for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. So I guess that really wraps it up. Game balls, Zach, uh, who, who are you going for for your game balls this week, or at least on offense? You know, yeah, let's start with offense. Um you know, I had a couple of choices there that were kind of hanging there for me. Um, one of the sentimental picks was Jack Cohn at Wisconsin. Looked really great. Um, you know, completed 26 of his 33 attempts. Just absolutely demolished Central Michigan. Um, Joe Burrow obviously looked good as well at quarterback. Um, you know, 471 yards, the most points ever put up and or the most yards ever thrown for in Austin. Huge performance. But I got to give the ball to JoJo Ward of Hawaii. Um, You know, the wide receiver came out and caught all four of Cole McDonald's touchdown passes, had 10 receptions total for 189 yards as Hawaii claimed their second Pac-12 win of the season against Oregon State. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I, I think just between uh between ward and cedric bird there that's a hell of a combination that mcdonald is getting to throw to there in honolulu yes hawaii is now first place in the pac-12 and we won't hear any arguments otherwise and first place on the line when they play washington this week i think that's probably fair um i think that's a great pick i also kind of flirted with picking joe burrow because he was just so excellent on the road kind of proving a lot of doubters wrong picking up right where he left off last season really but I went with a guy who was in his first start, and I talked about him a little bit in the opening, Keaton Slovis, going out and just really putting on a show. And his first ever start in a really game that USC really had to win with their upcoming schedule uh, to really have any shot at being competitive in the Pac-12 this year. He goes 28 of 33 for 377 yards and three touchdowns, just lighting up David Shaw's defense there um, at the Coliseum. I was super impressed with him overall he took care of the football and just you had usc's offense humming all night long as they put up 45 points it's hard to not be just blown away by how good he is and now the you you have to start wondering does jt daniels ever take another snap as usc starting quarterback because if slovis is this good is it going to be like the sam darnold effect a few years ago when darnold kind of came out of nowhere took the usc job and really is the reason clay helton's still here right now because you know led them to the rose bowl uh, as the starter, I wonder if we're going to have a similar situation. You start seeing an exodus for some of the more highly touted USC guys because Slovis is kind of the real deal. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's a very real possibility. Obviously, you don't want to project too much into just one start. But sure. doing it against a Stanford defense, no doubt, that's a hell of a first start. Um, and, you know, you'd expect that defense to be able to clamp down on a young quarterback, but here we are. And speaking of defense, who did you have as your defensive game ball this week, John? The most impressive defensive performance for me this week was overall Cal's defense against Washington, really swarming and dominating. And the guy leading that charge was Evan Weaver, the linebacker for the Golden Bears. It felt like he was in on every tackle. The box score only gave him 18 but I could have sworn it was more like 35, to be honest. But, I mean, he had 18 tackles, 14 solo, a couple tackles for loss, just all over the place. I believe he had, I believe he forced or recovered or both a fumble during that game as well. It was just all over the field swarming and really set the tone for really a great defensive performance for Cal to really lead the charge for that upset on Saturday night or early Sunday morning, I should say. Yeah, no, that's a really solid pick. Um, in terms of, you know, total team domination, I really wanted to hand it to the entire Wisconsin defense. Holding Central Michigan to 58 yards was kind of ridiculous. I mean, we've seen really good Wisconsin defenses in the past, but that that's anytime you're holding a team under 100 yards total, you're doing something right. But, you know, there was it was a team effort and there was no real one standout I could pick that just kind of popped more than the rest. So I kind of turned my attention uh, a little bit further south and I was really impressed with Nick Bolton, Missouri's linebacker and the way he played against West Virginia. You know, he finished the game seven tackles, had a couple tackles for loss, but had two huge interceptions, including that 20 yard touchdown return. Um, you know, just really absolutely locked things down in a, you know, just a 38-7 demolition of the Mountaineers. Um, and, and how horrible are the Mountaineers' fortunes now that Dana Holgerson is gone? I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate they're in Morgantown right now. I think Holgo knew what he was doing when he was getting out of there. I think he knew that the cupboard was kind of bare. I think Neil Brown's going to end up doing well in Morgantown town but I think it's going to be a long season but I love the pick of Bolton I mean he really took it upon himself and set the tone after the subpar defensive performance by the entire unit in week one when they lost to Wyoming so really a great bounce back to hold West Virginia to just seven points in that game yeah undoubtedly um well on that note those are our game balls everybody so we're going to head to a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk some week three action against the spread so stay tuned Welcome back from the break, everybody, to the Saturday Blitz podcast. We finished up talking about week two action and packing up the grill there in our first segment. Now we're ready to move on to talk about some week three action. Um, first game we're going to be looking at today is a Friday night game that's going to be happening down in Texas uh, between number 20 Washington State and Houston. How do you think this game's going to shake out, John? Well, if you're a fan of points, I got to feel like this game's going to have a lot of them. Um, I think the um, I'm not sure what the what the over under is for that game at the moment. Let's see. They haven't Bavada doesn't have one yet because they can't calculate that high would be my guess. <laughs> this is going to be what would figure to be a really big shootout. Um, you know, Washington State's looked really, really good over the first two games. 
Um, they haven't really been tested against New Mexico State and Northern Colorado. Obviously, it's their first kind of test. But it's hard not to be impressed um, with Anthony Gordon, the walk-on senior quarterback who kind of came out of nowhere to be the Cougar starting quarterback. His name wasn't really mentioned much this offseason, but Mike Leach has is far from a conventional coach and far from a conventional quarterback coach, especially. So he's kind of fit like a glove in the air raid so far, really distributing the ball to everybody and really lighting it up. Um, Houston bounced back after the loss to Oklahoma, but they really, after a really subpar first half, played pretty well against Oklahoma in the second half. So maybe their prospects are looking up. I just don't think defensively Houston's going to be able to do enough to keep this game um, within range for them to pull off the upset, even at home. Uh, the defense looked really bad against Oklahoma. They didn't generate much of a pass rush. And if you can't get a rush against the kind of air raid offense that Leach and the Cougars run, it's really difficult to keep them from moving the ball down the field and scoring a lot of points. So the spread's currently sitting at around eight and a half in favor of Wazoo. I think Washington State probably covers. I think it'll probably be a close game for a while. A late touchdown in the fourth quarter seals the deal. And unless Houston comes down and gets a backdoor cover, I think the Cougars cover that spread. See, I I think the game is going to be close enough. I think it's a seven-point difference. I'm looking at something like 48-41. I completely agree with you that this is just going to be another one of those offensive Pac-12 after dark classics. It's, it, it's going to be an absolute offensive instant classic. No doubt about it. Um, but I, I, I'm skeptical on Washington State at this point because of exactly what you said. They played New Mexico State and they played Northern Colorado. You played one of the weakest independents in the FBS and you played, you know, an FCS team that isn't bad by any means. Like, don't sell the Bears short. But, it, you know, talking about talent disparities there, Washington State is supposed to do exactly what they did against those two teams. And Houston, like you said, they, they looked a lot better in that second half against Oklahoma. And, I mean, they covered the spread there, you know. They were 22-point dogs against the Sooners, and they lost by 18. So at this point, I, I have a real feeling that Houston, you know, whether it's backdoor or not, is going to get that cover there by, by the final whistle. And so... But yeah, there's going to be a lot of points, and I'll be really interested to see what that uh, you know total points line ends up being because it's not going to be low, ladies and gentlemen. And I'd still take the over. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, it's a good litmus test for Washington State to see if they're going to be a legit Pac-12 contender for the second year in a row after coming up coming so close to getting to the Rose Bowl last year. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of take that next step because the Pac-12 looks wide open after Washington, especially after Washington losing to Cal this past week. The, the race for the Rose Bowl looks wide open at this point. Undoubtedly. And, you know, speaking about Pac-12 action, that kind of brings us to our second game now um, that we're going to be looking at today. Um, number 24, USC, who we talked about a bit in the last segment, heads to Provo to take on a BYU team that's high off of their overtime win at Tennessee. Um, you know, obviously BYU lost their season opener in the Holy War against Utah. They're looking to get a Pac-12 win now because that's the whole reason this BYU team went independent. It wasn't for the second half of the schedule where they're basically playing a group of five schedule. It's for this front-loaded first half where they get to play a lot of big teams and start to try to make a name for themselves. 
Yes, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see if USC can continue the momentum from last week's win over Stanford uh, when they travel to Provo to take on BYU. Uh, the Cougars coming off just a, an escape against Tennessee, but a win's a win in that environment, hoping to kind of fare better this week than they did in their first effort against a Pac-12 opponent where they were kind of blown out against Utah in the season opener uh, in a game that was a little closer than the final score probably indicated because that game was tight for a while and Utah kind of pulled away at the end. Uh, but I don't expect BYU to win this game either. I think USC is the better team. I, I'm i honestly really impressed with what I've seen from the Trojans through two weeks. They've got really good talent at quarterback with Slovis, and I really like the guys he's got at the skill positions. Um at running back and receiver. I think USC is actually a quality team. I think they will be competitive in the Pac-12, and I think they're going to take another step towards that um, and finish um, finish off BYU uh, with a, I don't know, probably double digits. I don't know. It'd be, it's a four-point spread, which is a little bit tighter than I probably would have expected. That kind of worries me a little bit. That's the one thing that gives me pause. Maybe Vegas has something in the works there. Uh, but I think USC is the better team, and they can win by at least a touchdown. Yeah, I've seen, you know, I've seen BYU pull off some crazy results over the years. I mean, obviously, last week is one of them. Um, but yeah, there's just too much talent on this Trojans team, and if they lose this game, you're gonna really hear things heat right back up under Helton. Um, and I'm with you. I think it's a double digit game. I think this could be as high as like a 38, 24 game, 38, 21, even maybe, um, you know, I, if USC does exactly what USC is built to come out and do, there's no way that BYU wins this game. Obviously everybody said the exact same thing about Tennessee and here we are. So Vegas has reason to be a bit skeptical, especially because at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, it's it's a hard place to play. I mean, you don't really, you know, when you think about imposing stadiums around the country, you don't necessarily think about BYU. Um, but that's 60,000 people packed there in southern Utah ready to raise their voices for a Cougars team that's, you know, really kind of the heart of a... a broad community in much the way that other ecumenical schools are. So, I, you know, as much as I think they are going to keep this one interesting for a while, I do think USC pulls away at the end and covers that spread because it's just a low enough spread that there's no reason they shouldn't. Yeah, and I mean, it's a must-win game from the, for the Trojans if you look at their upcoming schedule. After they play BYU, they've got Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame in their next three games. So if USC wants to be any type of top 20, top 15 team this year and be competitive and compete for potential New Year's Six Bowl, they cannot afford to drop this game. And a loss here would put the pressure right back on Clay Helton going into that three-game stretch. Certainly. Um, Well, let's look at one more Pac-12 game here. Actually, we're looking at a lot of Pac-12 games here this week, everybody. Maybe I'm just, you know, wistful for the West Coast or something because I had the upper hand in choosing most of these, but you get to deal with it. Next game we're looking at is Arizona State at Michigan State. You know, the number 18 Spartans come into this one a 12-point favorite. And, uh, you know, really logical. The Spartans have looked good the past couple weeks. Um, you know, just like we've talked about with a couple of other teams, you have to temper that somewhat because both of those wins have come against group of five teams and 
Um, we're still not quite sure about their relative talent against other squads that, you know, can recruit at the level of a Big Ten school. Obviously, Arizona State is the type of team that has the resources that they should be able to compete with a, a Michigan State. But uh, I, I'm, I, I'm wondering how if you feel Vegas is doing right by the Spartans and by the Sun Devils here in this one. I think it's a good spread. It's just high enough to to give some people pause, I think. But I I really think it's going to be a dominant Michigan State win. I honestly do. I think they're bitter from last year going to Tempe and, and losing right there at the end, I believe, on a game-winning field goal by the Sun Devils, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, this is a home game for them, obviously, in East Lansing. Long trip for, for Arizona State. And Arizona State's bringing a true freshman quarterback uh, to play against Sparty's defense. And Michigan State has a dominant defense. Their offense, you know, there's still a lot of question marks with Brian Lewerke and those guys on offense. We don't have any questions about that defense, though, and I don't think it's going to be a good day for Jaden Daniels. He's looked impressive in his first two games. Uh, but we're also looking at an Arizona State offense that only managed 19 points last week against Sacramento State, and that was a home game against Sacramento State. So I I, don't, I think it's going to be a long day for Daniels in the offense. It wouldn't shock me if Sparty shuts out Arizona State this week and wins something along the lines of 20, 20 23 to nothing or something like that, and that would easily cover that spread. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, Michigan State's defense is great. You know, really has been playing well. And then, you know, as good as Brian Lewerke has been, the real game changer for me in terms of Michigan State has been Elijah Collins at running back. Last week, he posted 192 yards on 17 carries. That's a ridiculous 11-plus yard average. I mean, when you have a back that's just, you know, churning out first downs every time he touches the ball, it's really hard to, to, to stop him. And obviously, Arizona State's defensive front is going to be better than anything that the Spartans have seen yet this year. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think this could be like a 28 to 7, 31 to 7 sort of game. It, it's really just ugly for Arizona State at the point that they're at right now. So absolutely agree with you. I think that spread is it, it's set really nicely to get balance on both sides. Vegas is doing exactly what Vegas does. Um, but yeah, Michigan State is not a team that you should be sitting on in that game. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. We're on the same page there for sure. I think Sparty's just too overwhelming defensively, especially against against a young quarterback making his first road start. Certainly. Well, staying in Big Ten country, um, let's shift our focus over to a, a great rivalry game that's coming up in uh, week three. Number 19, Iowa, heads to an Iowa State team that fell out of the AP Top 25 through no fault of their own. Uh, just a matter of having a really early bye week, um, more than anything, I think, is the way that all shook out. Um, because obviously, if they would have won this week, no matter who they played, I'm sure they would have stayed in the polls. Um, so, you know, really good Iowa team, though, that's coming to Ames. Just shut out Rutgers 30 to nothing. And, you know, that's Rutgers that they shut out. So don't get too excited, Hawkeyes fans. You played this the Scarlet Knights. But a shutout's a shutout, and it's nothing to scoff about. 
Um, and it's certainly got to give Iowa State pause. But I think this game's going to be really exciting just in terms of that quarterback duel. Nate Stanley against Brock Purdy is got some exciting implications there. Um, but this is a really tight spread. Iowa State is at home, but they've, you know, they're getting a point and a half in that game. Um, do you think uh, Vegas is showing too little respect to the Cyclones in that one, given how much we were high on them in the preseason? I mean, Vegas thinks this is a pick 'em essentially when you get down to it. This is whatever spread you take there, you're taking them to win outright. I mean, I, I grabbed Iowa early in the week. It was They were one-point favorite early in the week. It's starting to trend even heavier in favor of the Hawkeyes. I grabbed them early. Iowa State, I was really high on them in the preseason, too. We both, I believe, picked them to play in the Big 12 championship game this year. But they looked really bad in week one against Northern Iowa. Barely escaped that game in triple overtime with a three-point win over the FCS opponent. I I think Brock Purdy's a really good player. I think he sorely misses David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler at the skill positions, though. And I think that's something that's really not easily replaced, especially for a program like Iowa State. Uh, it does suck that they fell out of the top 25 because that prevented the only top 25 matchup of the week this week would have been the this one if they hadn't fallen out so it's a little disappointing but college game day will be um heading to heading to Ames for the first time so that's very exciting for this game this is always a really good rivalry matchup but I really think Iowa is going to I think it'll be a close game but I really like the Hawkeyes to prevail even on the road I think Nate Stanley will play really well and I think Iowa's gonna dominate on both sides on the in the trenches to really kind of win the game so do you think this is a blowout by Iowa, or do you think this is going to be close? I think it'll still be close. Rivalry games tend to kind of be close like this, but I think the difference in the trenches is what's really going to get it. Iowa State really struggled to run the ball effectively against Northern Iowa. They're going to have an even tougher time against the Hawkeyes on Saturday, and I think that's what's going to end up being the difference of the game. I expect a low-scoring kind of game, though. My guess is Iowa wins uh, along the lines of 20 to 10 or 20 to 13 or something like that. Yeah, I had 24-21. I, I like Iowa State to do a little bit more on offense than you seem to, but I think in the end we're both looking at Iowa to cover and to win that game outright. I mean, the only way Iowa doesn't cover that game is if, you know, they win 22-21, which is certainly possible the way this rivalry has gone in the past, but... I, I think they have enough to cover that at three, you know, at a point and a half. So shifting to our last game of the week, um, it's one we alluded to a bit in the first segment. Uh, Hawaii team that's now 2-0 and against the Pac-12 heads to Washington to play the, 23 the 23rd ranked Huskies in Seattle. And Washington is more than a three touchdown favorite against these Rainbow Warriors that have been the beasts of the West. Um, what do you think about that spread, John? The worst thing that could have happened to Hawaii was Washington losing Saturday night to California. Really, really just puts that much more into Chris Peterson and those guys to make sure they win this game and play well. I think it's a fair spread, honestly. I really like Hawaii. We talked about Hawaii a lot on this podcast. Um, the thing is, if you really look at it, Washington's got a great game plan ready for Hawaii because they play Washington State every single year. And every single year, Chris Peterson's defense dominates the Cougars' offense and the air raid. So my expectation is they're going to do much the same against Hawaii. 
wouldn't surprise me. Cole McDonald's already thrown five interceptions in two games. Wouldn't surprise me if he threw two or three more against the Huskies, and this one ends up getting away from Hawaii early. Um, Hawaii certainly got the chops if McDonald can take care of the football to stay competitive in this game. My guess is Washington's probably up by a couple touchdowns at halftime, and they really pull away uh, in the second half. I don't know if they quite cover the spread, maybe something along the lines of 35 to 14, 38 to 14 might make sense for this game. In my opinion, I really do think Hawaii is going to struggle uh, as, as high powers their offense is. I really think they're going to struggle because I really think Chris Peterson really knows how to defend this type of offense as he's shown plenty of times against Mike Leach's team in the Apple cup. See, I think that's really fair. And obviously Hawaii doesn't have the level of defense that Cal brought to the table this past week. Um, but at the same time, Cal also didn't bring the kind of offense that Hawaii is bringing to the mainland. Um, you know, with Cole McDonald rebounding last week in that win against Oregon State, I think, you know, that's a good confidence boost for him. He's thrown four touchdowns in each, each of the first two games this season. Um, and with, you know, receivers like JoJo Ward and Cedric Bird that are right there to challenge the Huskies secondary... I, I think he's going to get some some plays in there. Um, and on the flip side, Jacob Eason needs to play a lot better. Um, if he, you know, because I think this could get into a, a, a shootout quickly. And if that happens for Hawaii, Eason has not been playing well enough to win that shootout against Cole McDonald. Um, you know, last last week in the loss to Cal, he went 18 of 30, you know, 60 percent completion rate, not terrible, but he threw for only 162 yards and he had a pick with no touchdowns. You know, if you're not putting points on the scoreboard as the quarterback there, Washington is going to struggle because, you know. I, 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 they, they don't have, you know, Salvan Ahmed in the backfield has just not been a Miles Gaskin. You don't have that level of back there that can pick up the slack if your quarterback isn't getting it done. And so I'm going to be bold. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody's going to ridicule me about this. Hawaii 41, Washington 38, everybody. Wow. That is very bold. Very, very bold. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jacob Eason looked a lot like Jake Browning last week for Washington. Not to throw salt in any wounds for Washington fans, but you could have fooled me that that was still Jake Browning playing quarterback. All we heard all offseason was that Eason was going to be this major step forward for the Washington offense. Maybe he was really tired after being so used to the Eastern time zone at Georgia. You know, you have a, a little bit of say in that. So staying up that late might have been a challenge for him. I don't know. I think it was a really weird result. I think Washington's going to bounce back in a big way this week. But, I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. It, usually what happens on these types of weekends that look kind of terrible on the surface, for lack of better term there, you don't really see any real intrigue coming into the weekends. There's not a lot of great matchups. You usually see chaos. These are the types of weekends where you see chaos. And that would be a great capper to a potential chaotic weekend if Hawaii upsets Washington Saturday night. I mean, Hawaii comes into this game 2-0 and in Pac-12 play. Washington is 0-1. That's all I'm going to say here to, to cap that off, folks. Um, and on that note, take that bold bet to the bank. Or don't. Don't put too much <laughs> on it because, you, you know, even if you put a little, you'll probably win a lot with a bet like that. So... 
on that note, we're going to take our last break. And we when we come back, we'll offer you some more locks and upsets of the week before going into our tailgater fair for the weekend. So stay tuned. Welcome back for our final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just finished talking about uh, five key games that are coming up in week three. Now quickly, we're going to dive in and offer you a few locks and upsets against the spread this week, and then offer you a little bit of advice for uh, the tailgater fare that we'll be eating over the weekend. Um, start things off, John, who do you have as the lock of the week this week? I kind of went back and forth on a couple spots for the lock of the week, to be honest with you. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording for this week, but I had Virginia minus seven and a half over Florida State was one I was really flirting with. Um, I really like the Cavaliers and don't like the Seminoles at all much this year so far. But I ended up settling on another ACC game. Uh, I got Wake minus three over North Carolina. Um, and that's a bit of a strange one, uh, I would say, for some people to probably look at because North Carolina has been so surprisingly good to start the season off. You know, the Tar Heels off to a 2-0 and start, and it's not like they've played cupcakes. They beat South Carolina and Miami in back-to-back weeks. We've also been a little fortunate to to win both of those games. If you really look at the – I don't know if you've seen Bill Connolly's advanced box scores for those games or not, Zach, but they easily could be 0-2 right now. Their post-game win expectancy last week against Miami was 31%. So, you know, Miami in on most occasions would have won that game. Some weird circumstances led the Tar Heels. And no fault, you know, that win counts just as well as any of the others. And obviously Mac Brown's doing better than most people expected in his return to Chapel Hill. But I think it's odd with the hype that's kind of surrounding North Carolina that they would be an underdog at all this week against Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest is getting the customary three points at home. But my expectation would have been for this line to be... North Carolina in North Carolina's favor. I think a lot of money is going to go towards North Carolina. My rule when it comes to any kind of gambling is if you see a line that's too good to be true, that's because it is too good to be true. Vegas isn't stupid. I'm taking Wake Forest minus three. I could see this game being kind of a track meet with North Carolina, Sam Howell throwing the ball well. And then obviously Wake Forest with Jamie Newman coming out there and firing the ball. He's found an, after losing Greg Dorch, everyone was worried about him finding a new go-to target at receiver but scotty washington for wake forest has been outstanding through two weeks he's already over 200 yards with three touchdowns in two games i like the demon deacons to cover that spread and deliver uh the first loss in the in mac brown round two for the tar heels i totally get where you're coming from there vegas is is really sort of teasing things out there and you do definitely see that from week to week where you just get one of those really weird spreads where a team that's had more hype comes in as the underdog um but you know wake forest hasn't looked bad to begin the season either i think it, it it's really kind of a a disservice at the same time to to sort of sleep on them as well. Um, you know, North Carolina's obviously gotten more of the hype. Um, you know, they've played a couple of opponents that we thought were going to be fairly good at the beginning of this season. Whether or not the Gamecocks and the Hurricanes are actually good teams remains to be seen. Um but yeah, I, I think that's a really sound pick there when you're when you're looking at just really sort of oddball things that just sort of send up those red flags. That's definitely one of those red flags. 
Um, for me, um, honestly, I was shocked that UCLA is only uh, getting 23 points against Oklahoma. You know, the Sooners have looked really good to begin this season uh, with Jalen Hurts leading that offense. And conversely, UCLA, pardon my language, but they've looked absolute crap. But they've just been, they've been garbage. They have not played well under Chip Kelly. There's no reason that this UCLA team should be this bad. I mean, especially with losses against two group of five teams who are admittedly decent group of five teams. I have, um, you know, I have San Diego State in my uh, group of five power rankings that, that come out today. And, um, you know, Cincinnati is right there as well, despite the 42 nothing loss that they just took against Ohio State. Um, but, you know, even having lost against two decent group of five teams, they didn't even show life against two decent group of five teams. And if, as a Pac-12 squad, you can't do that, you've got some real issues. And I don't think you're going to be coming anywhere near three-and-a-half touchdowns of a top-five team in the country. No, I, I agree. I, I don't have it as a lock, but I would definitely take Oklahoma to cover that spread. It, it's The weird thing about UCLA, is if you think they were going to have deficiencies, it would be defen- on defense, right? I mean, this is a, a Chip Kelly coach team, right? I mean, he's always calling cards, always been offense. They only managed 14 points against San Diego State last week, and they've just looked lifeless in the first two weeks of the season when really most people expected them to at least be a bowl team this year in year two for Kelly, but it's been rough for sure. It's not going to get any better. You're zero and two, and now you get Oklahoma coming um, to LA this week. So yeah, it's going to be a, another rough week for Bruins fans. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I do not feel good for that fan base. They're hurting. They're absolutely hurting. Um, and things are not going to get prettier anytime soon for them. So, so yeah, UCLA not going to upset the Sooners this week, but in that same vein, if we go to the upset pick, by the way, Army, I'm counting that as a win last week because they did cover the spread uh, easily uh, and almost very, very nearly pulled off the upset that we talked all off season about. I just wanted to mention that briefly because how excellent would that have been? actually been if they could have pulled that out uh but zach where are you going with your upset pick this week you know one that i thought was really fascinating is arkansas is a 10 point favorite against colorado state and you know obviously colorado state lost their season opener to a colorado team that week after week is starting to look like a better buffaloes team than we expected um arkansas on the other hand barely defeated Portland State and as somebody who went to school for a while at Portland State you shouldn't be winning only 20 to 13 against Portland State if you're an SEC school that just should never happen and uh, then they just got you know comprehensively taken care of by an Ole Miss team that lost to Memphis so um, you know I think we can say that Memphis owns both Arkansas and and Mississippi at this point. Sounds about right. 
Um, but yeah, the fact that Arkansas is a favorite at all kind of blows my mind. Um, you know, that's that's Vegas wanting you to, you know, bet heavily on Colorado State is the way that feels for me, and you should. You should bet heavily on Colorado State. They're like, they're handing you that right there. Take it. Yeah, and they made it low enough that I think most people, like neutral observers, are going to bet Arkansas because it's only 10 points. Don't forget that Colorado State beat Arkansas last year, for those of you out there who are potentially thinking about putting money on that game. Arkansas should not be a 10-point favorite against air right now, as bad as the Hogs have been the last two seasons. If they were lining up and playing against literally nobody, I would take nobody to cover that 10-point spread. So, yeah, I, I also like the Rams to cover 10. I, I, I can't imagine... Uh, um, picking Arkansas to do anything right now. They've been just horrendous for two seasons under Chad Morris. So uh, I stuck in the eight, in the SEC for my upset pick, and this one might be a little bit of a surprise, a little off, uh, especially after Terry Wilson was announced uh, being out for the year with an injury. But I really like Kentucky uh, plus eight and a half at home against Florida. You know the Wildcats finally ended their losing streak to the Gators last season in the swamp. But if you even look at the year before that, they were neck and neck with Florida that season before kind of losing in the final minute of that game. So I I really like Kentucky. I don't think the drop-off in quarterback play is going to be that severe with Terry Wilson out. Troy Chance transfer Sawyer Smith will get the nod at quarterback. He was excellent down the stretch last season when he took over for Caleb Barker. Uh, after he got injured, I thought he was outstanding, really led Troy, was really played really, really well in the Dollar General Bowl uh, against Buffalo um, in the bowl game last season. I think he's going to actually have a good game. I think Kentucky's defense will make life difficult for Felipe Franks. I just don't know so far that Florida is quite as good as everyone kind of thought coming into this season. And I think that not only do I think Kentucky is going to cover the eight and a half point spread, I think they're going to upset Florida this weekend, uh, maybe on a game winning field goal to pull out something along the lines of 23 20 in favor of the Wildcats at Kroger Field. I, I could totally see it. I mean, at the very least, I think that eight and a half point spread is just daring you to take that because this is going to be a single score game for sure. I think Kentucky is a good enough team defensively to keep this thing close and keep it a one score game. Um, I'm not going to be bold enough myself. I've already been bold here tonight enough, I think. Or I've been bold enough here today enough, I think, that I, uh, I'm i not going to jump that, that pony right now. But I, I, I think, yeah, absolutely take Kentucky there. That's, I mean, against the spread at the very least, that's a beautiful pick. Um, so yeah, what, while you're watching all this football this weekend, John, how are you going to be fueling up? Uh, you know, I didn't really have super big plans, but I was thinking about, um, grilling some fish was my kind of, my tailgate kind of food for the weekend, getting some, getting some salmon, throwing them on the grill with some nice, uh, cutting up some lemons and kind of lining the grill with them and throwing the salmon on top of that with some seasoning and stuff. Uh, grilled salmon's one of my one of my absolute favorite meals to kind of go with. Throw it on a bed of rice or something like that. It'll be really good. And game time beer this week because I'm picking Kentucky to to pull the upset over Florida. I'm gonna go grab uh, a four pack of Kentucky bourbon ale, which is my absolute favorite 
beer, it's it's not always very easy to find, and the four-pack usually runs you about $15 for a four-pack. So I don't get it that often because it's so expensive. But, <clears throat> excuse me, it is my all-time favorite beer, so I, I think this is a good weekend to pull it out. No, obvious. I, I like that choice. Definitely a tasty, tasty beer. I've only had it a couple of times, uh, but yeah, I've always enjoyed it. Personally, I've got some pot roast sitting in the fridge, and I'm looking at making up a couple of pie crusts and throwing together a couple of pot roast pot pies. You know, the weather's been chilling just a little bit, and there's just something about fresh pie that that sounds really good. Um, so yeah, and obviously, you know, you can't go wrong with pot roast. I mean, if you put that in a crust, that's what I'm going to be cooking up this for for this Saturday's games, and then uh. In terms of drinking, uh, you know, in honor of Oregon's 77-6 win against Nevada last week, I went out and bought a bought a six-pack of Total Domination IPA from Ninkasi Brewing in, uh, in Eugene, Oregon. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be sipping that and hoping that they have another Total Domination when they play FCS Montana this week. I'm kind of expecting it to be that way, and that beer is going to go down so smooth when I watch it happen. Absolutely. If it's chilling up there where you are, if you could send that down towards the Gulf Coast, I'd super appreciate it because we're still in the in the 95 plus range here. So any of that cool front you want to blow down this way would be much appreciated. Yeah, it, it, I, I must say it, it's been one of those like nice, like chilling a bit in the evening sort of things like you're getting that nice crisper fall feel um, we're starting to get here, but it's not... It, the problem is, is in the daytime, you're still getting all that humidity. So um, I'm jealous right now. I won't be jealous when it's two degrees in the wintertime. Yeah, exactly. It strikes and gutters, strikes and gutters. Um, well, on that note, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week. It's been a pleasure getting to talk with you for 25 episodes so far. And we look forward to talking with you uh, over many more of them to come. Um, so with that, we're wrapped up for this week. Enjoy week three, and we'll be back next Wednesday to talk more football with you.